Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we'll be looking at Minute 66, which begins with Brett checking out some skin and ends with Brett starting to enter the Landing Claw room. And it's Monday, so we have a new guest. We welcome filmmaker and visual special effects artist Bruce Brannett. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. This is going to be great. We kind of have the father of the viral video right here with us, don't we? Uh, You know, I've made a few things that have gotten a few views, but uh, nothing I can feed my kids off of yet. But 405 was the one, right, that got all the attention, the jet landing on a freeway? Yeah, that started a lot of things in my career. So this is a movie that features mostly practical visual effects. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would say. I would say. Or, you know, even optical effects. Right. It predates CGI. But, uh, you know, as a visual effects guy, a guy who spends many days behind computers, even I think it's usually better if you can get it in camera. And it's surprising how movies like this actually stand up. Do you remember the first time you saw the movie? Um, I do. I had an older brother. So he'd seen it. It had... I was exposed to some pieces of it, some visuals from it. So I think it was a few years later that I saw it. But, um, you know, I think I saw this and Blade Runner nearly back to back. And so it pretty much set a tone for, you know, the the wet universe of the future. The the uh, um, the Giger look is of empty spacecraft and you know, stretched out minutes of tension really, really affected me. Yeah, this is a pretty um, wet week that we have here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Whether it's rain or meat. So let's just get into the minute. We pick it up at a fairly tense moment. We've got that nasty, wet, semi-translucent skin that Brett's holding. Always a bad sign. Yeah. Well, it's not initially a bad sign to Brett, apparently. He's just very confused by it. And I kind of wonder if it maybe takes him a little too long to become concerned about it. He, <laughs> is this another indication of how kind of slow Brett is when it's not related directly to engineering? Because he holds it, looks at it for quite a long time. What do we think he thinks it is? Right well, he knows there? what he's chasing, right? He knows yeah. the size of what he's chasing. Yeah. And it kind of fits. In fact, it's a sure. it's a pretty spectacular jump that this thing takes in a fairly short period of time from that little residue of skin that looks about the size of the face hugger or the to chest a, burster to a seven foot tall Nigerian in a in a in a suit. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> right. So he's looking at it, and the gears are slowly cranking, squeaking a little. Because are you, are you thinking that he's saying, "Well, this is the skin of this uh, alien that I'm chasing," and it takes him a little while to figure out, "Oh, what." this means that it shed the skin or is he really just have no idea what it is for a while could jones have eaten it perhaps perhaps he's thinking he just has no idea it just seems like it takes maybe it's a great reaction though once harry dean stanton's character you know once he the performance takes us to his realization it's a really great moment another moment of great harry dean stanton face just doing all the work it's wonderful it's one and we as the audience of course are just like going come on get out of there please but harry dean stanton is awesome but i for one would probably not choose to take a shower and whatever that is acetone (laughs) immediately afterward after finding a piece of the alien that's true too it must be really hot in there um (laughs) But so after this quick insert shot where we're back to the shot of his foot and that he drops it back on the floor, pretty much where he found it and is moving on, we get this extraordinary slow, locked down push into these two 
kind of golden doors. Yeah. And do we do we think it's a point of view shot? Is that our is that is that our initial response, or do we know where where we're located at this point? I don't think it's supposed to play as a point of view shot. I think it's just it, it's just milking the tension. And um, I think what's fascinating about a lot of this, especially in the production design, is that just in in visual effects we call them nernies and greeblies, which are just little things you stick on the outsides of spaceships to give detail, but don't really do anything. All of that stuff in the door. There's some things that kind of evoke really almost an alien face hugger on one side and it's almost you know uh uh ceremonial that you're going through these doors it, it reads almost as kind of a a uh, uh what do you call it a uh sacri- sacrifice chamber. yeah it does you're funny it makes me think of those king kong doors mm-hmm. on skull island yeah. uh, but and, and even the, the the ship the docking thing above them is almost like an upside down altar with chains yeah. dangling from it just beautiful beautiful production design yeah i noticed those face hugger shapes for the first time on this blu-ray and i couldn't see those when the movie first oh. came out when when we saw the print of it speaking back to the the purpose of the shot i think my my initial instinct is to think it's a point of view shot but ceremonial is a really good way to put it what it actually is because what we're doing here is remember we were just in the locker room where we met jones you know and and, uh brett gets sent off on this little like fool's journey and with each step at every room he goes into we it gets increasingly otherworldly in some way um once he gets in there we see that it has this purpose it's a landing claw room those doors are ridiculously like ornate for something so practical as that i think that this is telling us a story he's increasingly getting farther and farther away from the comfort zone that happens multiple times in this movie so as we're moving in it's nice to take the time and see the detail and to have this really slow, locked down, beautiful, smooth shot moving in. It's really ominous to me um, now that he's moving into what we know will be his death chamber. And it's more interesting for me that it's such a, a perfect shot, whereas a POV shot would feel a little looser, I think. But also the alien is alien. I, I feel like we can't be in its eyes. Yeah. We don't know what it is. Yeah. And, you know, as an audience on first view... We're still assuming it's, you know, the size of a squirrel. I know when I was watching it the first time, or soon after anyway, I did expect after this 32 second, and that's how long that push in is. After 32 seconds, I really did expect to cut back to Brett's face in a kind of classical Hitchcock shot reverse shot where it would reveal it's subjective. But instead, the next shot is this incredibly high angle as he walks into that next room. And so they're definitely playing around with what we would expect in terms of traditional screen grammar. And it disorients us because we really don't know whose point of view. It can only be the camera's point of view. It can only be that subjective camera that's prowling and and representing different things and constantly keeping us on our toes in terms of what we're watching. Yeah. Do we ever get a Brett point of view shot? Like, do you think there's ever a time where we're getting Brett's point of view in this movie? I, I think there's one in the next minute. I okay. think there's a handheld look up right. at the rain coming down mm-hmm. that feels to me like point of view. And yet it, we still don't get the traditional shot reverse shot. The matching shot of that in terms of Hitchcock language or something would have been looking right. down, you know, looking kind of down on him and looking at him looking. And we right. kind of don't get that either. So right. I, I love that about this sequence. Yeah, I was going to say as far as Bruce saying that the that's a perfect shot the smooth push in that would not be brett's point of view we would never 
It would be that whatever the equivalent is of a googly-eyed <laughs> camera would probably be more Brett's point of view. So I, it doesn't fit as a point of view shot at all. I think we've concluded that. As, as a quick aside, I met Harry Dean Stanton uh, while he was speaking and introducing. It was either Walter Murch or uh, uh, Hill, um, the writer. Uh, Walter Hill. Walter yeah. Hill. I can't remember who, who was talking, but... Uh, and he was blasted. I mean, he was... He, Harry Dean was? Yeah, and it was one of those things where it wasn't like uncomfortable uncle at a party. It, it was just, he was unbelievably great. And he was like unapologetic. And it was just, it was actually really wonderful. And I, I mean, that affects my viewing whenever I see this sequence. Cause where I'm did like, you see that? Where he- uh, it was in Long Beach somewhere. I don't mm-hmm. remember the theater, but it was some uh, presentation for the Director's Guild or uh, the, yeah. ed- 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 the ed- editorial... Guild, I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah, I think Harry Dean Stanton has been regularly drunk for about 75 years now. I think he's probably pretty comfortable with it at this point. It's not going to be a He served in World War II. He can get as drunk as he wants. Damn yeah. right. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a icon. It's an American treasure, without a doubt. So, what do we make of these chains that are dangling as he walks into this room in both this overhead shot and then in in the medium shot that kind of wraps up the minute uh, in the foreground? in that case but um w- w- chains it's it's in some ways more like sacrificial language i think it's just it is it's uh it's foreboding instantly by hearing the dangling of chains so is this the point where we're really assured that we're in a spooky old castle floating through space movie yeah i mean i think that that you know i think we're already there in in the movie uh this is the most overt like uh, telling of it, like pointing directly at it and saying, guess what? You're in a horror movie, uh, it's a haunted house movie. And it, but it's interesting what we can read off of it. I mean, it's great that there's so much that can be read out of this um, scene and the set design of it. But when you listen to Ridley Scott talk about it, he basically said, hey, I put those chains there because I needed something moving in the frame. Right. And right. it's one of those wonderful things about if you're just give in to some stylistic choices sometimes, if you don't think about the practical nature of whether it makes any sense for these chains to be hanging, whether it makes any sense for water to be dripping in a spaceship. In the moment when you're watching the movie, it's better to, to just have a dynamic frame and then let the audience write in what they feel. Yeah. Out they of could it. have been wires or cables, but wires and cables don't clank. They exactly. Don't clank. And just mm-hmm. from a, just a filmmaking upsell level, I mean, you're on a spaceship. The geography isn't always clear. So having chains downward swinging, water dripping... You instantly know what those shots are, the up, the 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 upshots. You know you're looking up, and it just it works instantly. Plus, gives you sound, gives you texture, gives Harry Dean something to do. I don't think I really understood that that thing above him was was the landing claw. I didn't either for I the don't... longest time until maybe until we we watched it this closely and we talked about how they did feature that claw screwing up when they landed on the planet, you know, and there was that groaning terrible sound and. And that's the claw they built, right, to give a sense of scale when people, when they were getting off of the ship. So maybe they're just repurposing that piece of set. I, I don't know, actually, about the repurposing. of the, That's a good question. I don't know if that's the exact same one or not. But it is interesting to think about because we did have this uh, big problem arise earlier because of a landing claw. And I kind of wonder if, uh, whether this is important or not, I don't know. It just makes me think, is this the landing claw? Is this the one that broke? Is that why this chamber is open? Um, because they've been in there doing maintenance on this particular claw. That could be. It could be that, again, that landing, that flubbed landing is leading to more problems in a way because it's given this alien another sure. chamber to walk into. 
um, other than visually, is it spelled out where he is? Go to the landing claw room? No, or, nope, no. Okay. Okay. Because is that where they would have exited the ship when coming back from their EVA? Or No, but he, he sort of peeks into this room in the previous minutes and then comes back or maybe Ripley walks into that room and then she comes walking back. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So it's never really acknowledged. This is one of several spaces in the ship that are nobody ever really says what those rooms are. We just kind of have to figure the crew knows and why would they say Mm -hmm. the name of the room? Mm -hmm. And having chains and cables to tie down something is somewhat nautical in a way to, you know, if it's, if it's where the landing claw docks at some point, somebody's probably in there to secure things before they go to sleep. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, clearly a landing claw on a spaceship is an automatic thing, but with these chains, it makes you, makes me kind of envision this group of you know space sailors with a sea shanty at the ready, <laughs> pulling on chains to leave. Yeah. got to let the landing claw. Yeah, do. no ropes anymore because it's the future. We have chains <laughs> right, here. We have chains here. <laughs> things are bigger. <laughs> I think the summary of this room to me is that it doesn't matter what the room is really, and it doesn't matter what the practical function of the chains. Are. It's all about the mood. It's all about the benefits of providing a sensory experience for the audience. We're with Brett. All that matters is Brett here, the performance and the situation as it's set up for us. So really it's just a dynamic set design and us talking about the purpose of it all. It's just really just yeah. interesting conversation, well, but we could never know and it'd be perfectly fine. Well, does it matter though that we've got this high angle shot looking down on Brett given what's going to happen in the coming minutes yeah i mean perhaps that could be argued as a pov from the alien yeah it could be but we don't know yet or it could just be an implication of it yeah it just could be giving us the yeah. idea that okay something's going to be up here yeah you, I, you ask what point do we know we're in the spooky haunted house and i mean when somebody's searching for a cat all alone you know it and then the fact that this room is so large and we're kind of as a camera as the audience looking around already and kind of trying to understand all the places and nooks and crannies here um you know it just it just the room is designed to just uh extend the tension yeah. over a period of time yeah and i do think that the game that he's playing that i talk about all the time is a great tip to anybody watching or making horror films that one of the great advantages to the horror film is you can put the camera in places that are not justified necessarily by the, by the narrative. Uh, in this case, we would say this high angle shot is ultimately justified because it is where the where the alien is, um, unbeknownst to everybody at this point in the movie. But there are so many interesting places that the camera gazes on our people in this movie, and it's it's really it's, it's really great. Friedkin does a little bit of that in The Exorcist too puts the camera in places where yeah. we feel like you know we're we're prowling and observing when he finds the shedded skin the one place he doesn't look is up isn't <laughs> you're right <laughs> you're right well yeah i'm yeah that's a good point i wonder if it would occur to him still thinking that this thing's the size of a cat if that's even anything to be concerned about he doesn't know i guess he should somebody might have told him where they found the uh, you know found the other one the, there is a lower ceiling that drops down on ripley maybe yeah. if you'd have been told about that yeah you, you would think he would be if ripley were the one in this room she'd be looking up all the time even with a low ceiling she'd right. be looking up i mean yeah. the next room is definitely has a higher ceiling to it but just it just the benefits of communicating with your crew members i mean if they just would have told brett <laughs> how that went down in the infirmary he this never would have happened yeah you know? i don't think brett wanted to hear that i For, think <laughs> oh he probably should he was probably busy rolling cigarettes and well he doesn't even have his little zapper 
That's true. Why is he the one that doesn't have the zapper? Or the because yeah. he's going to get the cat. They're the ones looking for the. They're the ones that are looking ostensibly was, looking yeah. for the alien. But they still, said, we'll keep looking. You go get the cat. John, would you go? Would you go looking for the alien would, without your zapper? I wouldn't go looking for the alien in any case. <laughs> like the zapper wouldn't be helpful to me at all. But uh, I think we've talked about that extensively. I, this is not something. I'm not leaving you guys. Like if you guys right now told me to go find the cat. <laughs> So I'd I, say, nope, you're coming with me or I'm staying with you, one or the other. Stick to the posse. <laughs> yeah, really. Speaking of which, Bruce, you said uh, off mic before we started that you kind of hate these minutes. Well, they just, they're, they're, they're so full of tension. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I hate the minute. I love, I love the whole movie, but uh, it's one of those ones where you just want the character to do something else. And in a way that's great. So you dread these minutes, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's much better, much better right. phrase. John, you hate these minutes. I don't hate these minutes, but it is the, it's the, my least favorite. It's the, tr- it's the tropiest part of the movie to me, as far as the horror movie aspect of the movie. So I'm not a big fan of that. We talked about that last week, but you know, like I'm with you, Bruce, I'd love the whole movie. I mean, there, yeah. in the end, I wouldn't change this either. Really, well, it just kind of—it's the one point where I stop and I go, "This is a tropey horror movie." Right. Stuff. And it, by comparison, we'll talk about this later. But Ripley is a character; she does every decision correctly all the way. She's always on the right point. And so, have these minutes. You have char- a character just doing things. You're like, "Come on, just no. turn around, walk out." I didn't find the cat. Now you could argue, though. Ripley is the one that sent him on this mission. She's the one that ordered him to go do this. She didn't, actually. Parker did. Parker said she's the one in authority. I know. (laughs) She could have said something. She could have said something, but but I think you got to blame it on Parker because he's like, hey, man, you let it go. You got to go get it. Go on. Go on. Right? Yeah, that's true. And he's going to do whatever Parker tells him. That's right. It clearly Mm -hmm. shows who's in in charge in this relationship. And she does see, we know um, know, from earlier scenes as well, that she does defer to him. Brett is his crew. Right. Like, Parker, your crew... This is yours. She's going to defer to him first. Probably also, she's just not going to think like, apparently Brad didn't, that this is a big deal. Like, go get right. the cat. We don't know that there's a seven foot tall alien out there. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, anybody else have anything for this minute or shall we get on to where it gets crazy and we'll talk director's cuts and all sorts of stuff tomorrow? Love to. So, Bruce, where can uh, the people find you on the internet? Um, you can look up Branit.com, B-R-A-N-I-T. Um, that's my directing page. And BranitFX.com is where you can find visual effects we're working on. All right. And you can find us, as usual, on AlienMinute.com. You can follow us at AlienMinutePod on Twitter or at AlienMinutePodcast on Instagram. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And uh, come over to our Tee Public page if you want to grab a T-shirt or a mug or a phone cover or whatever you can get over there. Um, And we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 67.